Final Night Poetry Slam. I want to sew the world into its sheets. I want to beat it with a bat until the warning sticks. A handgun is a machine. I'm tired of holding the wounded animal of my heart and instructing it on how to bleed. All I see are stars in the mouth of a tiny ghost. Hello and welcome back to the Mile High Poetry Slam podcast. Coming at you from a mile high, broadcast to the entire world. I hope you all are doing so good. And oh my god, we've got so much to talk about this week. We had a Slam Nuba, we had a Mercury Cafe, we had two features along with them, so there's a whole lot to, to dissect to talk about. Before we get into all that though, uh, I want to say a huge thank you to our interview last week to Connor Marvin the Poetic Prince of Denver, for just being so great and being so generous with his time. Um, thank you once more. And also, may I remind you that you can find us on iTunes, you can find us on Stitcher, you can find me on Facebook and on Twitter. Uh, E-I-F-L-E-R is the last name. So you need friends, I need friends. Let's make this happen. Now, um, with no more further ado, let us talk about Slam Nuba. Slam Nuba. Slam Nuba. This month's Slam Nuba took place on Friday, May 26th. Uh, it was the last Slam Nuba that is scheduled to be held that was uh, contracted for the Crossroads Theater. Uh, now, Slam Nuba has been at the Crossroads for 10 years, so it is kind of a passing of the torch. It is kind of a, a new transition for that Slam to move to a different direction, to go to a different venue. And uh, as soon as we hear any more about that, as soon as the organizers of Slam Nuba figure out what's going on with their venue, then I will let you know, and we can all go bask in the cutting of the heads together. But let's focus on this last one here. We did have a feature. Your feature was Rodzilla. Um, this is a poet out of Sacramento originally, and I've seen Rodzilla a couple of times. Um, interesting choices for Rodzilla here, and in that he only did one poem. For his entire feature. Now, it was a 10-minute long memorized poem, so it was a, a show, it was a, a, a very good feature, but it was just kind of curious that he only did one actual work with, with one narrative and, and one thread just kind of linking everything through. The best way I can describe this poem is that it was a word collage of the 1990s. Um, it's not the first time I've heard this poem, but I have only heard it maybe a handful of times, and every time I am really impressed with how much... Uh, Rodzilla is able to cram into this piece. It, it really does harken back to anyone who lived through that, anyone who was a, a kid or an adolescent growing up in the 90s, really gets a lot of what he's trying to say. And he does pepper in, uh, every once in a while, his own personal experience of uh, being a young black man growing up in the 90s and what that, that meant the for him. So let me play you some clips no from Rodzilla's from the technology of the 90s. 
I had the stupid crush on Lisa Turtle. Say by the bell, I want to be Zach Morris, man. Two Laura pop Winslow culture references. Ice, but I dug Steve Urkel's girl. You know, Shorty Myra. Shorty with them breasts, man. She got cancer, man. Then she died, man. I almost cried, man. Back then to my mama anger. I fell in love with this white girl named Topanga, man. I was ready to die, like me against to, the world. Like I said, but his own I personal experiences no with gangs and and the not being in jumped hood, in. Man, they let me be because I had a rock in my hand. But if I didn't have handles, nigga, I would have had the handle getting jumped in. This was quite the epic poem, quite the epic ride that Rodzilla wanted to take his audience on. And so I can understand why he did what he did. I just wanted a little more from him. I wish he would have you know, given, me, given the audience a little more than just this one poem, even though it was a very good poem. Uh, moving on to the slam. Uh, slam Nuba operates a little bit differently than your traditional slam uh, at the Mercury Cafe or any other places that you are likely to attend. And that Slam Nuba does boxing style. They go head to head, where instead of scorecards, they will have two poets come up and compete directly against one another. And at the end, when these two poems have been read, the host will bring them back on stage and then say, okay, audience, which did you prefer, poem one or poem two, poet A, poet B? And then from there, they whittle it down from eight to four to two, and then they have the final two head to head, and the audience decides from there. So it's a little bit different than your typical slam that you may be used to. So in the first round, we had Elijah versus Jared. This was notable because uh, Elijah's really been making the rounds, but also because Elijah started off uh, with what I can only assume was some kind of comedy routine, but in fact, I found out it wasn't uh, so much comedy as it was just his life. He talked about uh, working at his job and, and the oven that he works at literally blowing up and, and shooting a flaming fireball at his face. And then when after he was done talking about that for a minute or two, he started going into a song that he had written for everyone. And then Jared is actually the sound guy, the guy who runs the board at Nuba, uh, who agreed to be a part of the slam for this last time around. Uh, both of them went up to head-to-head. And uh, the audience was liking Jared a little more than Elijah, and I think he probably understood that when he did what he did. In the second bout of that first round, we had Josh versus Morgan Tora. Uh, Morgan Tora is a an alumna of Minor Disturbance, and read some work that was a little less polished, a little more vulnerable, a little more subtle, and more nuanced. So I'm going to play you a clip from this bout from Morgan Tora. In the grand scheme of things, I think. It is unhealthy to have to wait this long to own your whole body again. Now this was a departure from Morgan's usual work in that it didn't really focus on uh, any kind of racial identity, which is what Morgan is known for. This was more about uh, abuse history. This was more about how they felt being around uh, the abuser uh, after a certain amount of time and, and how long it's going to take for their body to really fully recuperate and recover and heal from the abuse that Morgan faced, and this is only from a basic biological standpoint, this is not from an emotional standpoint, so it was it was a really interesting and, and really brave choice for Morgan to go out there and do this piece, and the audience rewarded Morgan, uh, let uh, them advance on to the second round. In the next bout, we had Johnny, Johnny Osai versus Andre, and Johnny read some... Uh, Facebook updates that he had written oh, throughout the, that week that he just uh, turned into poems for that night. And uh, Andre, I 
don't think we've uh, heard from before, at least not from in a very long time. Uh, Johnny gets up there and he wins the crowd over. He advances on to the second round. And then finally, in the in the last bout in the first round, we had R.E. versus Sherwin. Uh, Sherwin was from out of town. He was from uh, California. And he was a newer voice. It was a more polished voice. Uh, one that I hadn't heard from Nuba before. So I'll play you a clip from his first round. I swear to you one day, Ma. One day I will lay my head on your Pacificist belly, then sleep underneath the three stars in your sky. So that was Sherwin from the first round of the first bouts. It uh, from the first round of the fourth bout as Slam Nuba. He goes on to advance into the second round. In the second round, we had Jared versus Morgan. Uh, again, Morgan goes up there and is just a little more polished, a little more seasoned, and takes down Jared. Advances on to the second round. I'll play you a clip from Morgan's second round piece. I never came out. I returned to. Have been returning ever since. Don't know what a closet is. No hiding like second nature, though. So there's another one from Morgan Tora. It was a little more um, from the personal side from Morgan that we've heard before. Or really, uh, again, not addressing race in any way, but more addressing uh, the history of their sexuality, the history of their uh, coming out or lack thereof. Um, not familiar with closets, but was familiar with hiding. That was a really powerful uh, moment from that piece. And so Morgan advances on into the final round based off the strength of that poem. And then we had Johnny Osai versus Sherwin. Um, Johnny did what he did in the first round again, where he read off of a, a Facebook post that he turned into a poem. And Sherwin, uh, being a little more polished, a little more uh, performance ready, a little more showy, advanced into the final round versus uh, Johnny Osai. So in the final round, we had Morgan Tora versus Sherwin. I will play you a clip from both of them. First up from Morgan in the last round. Everything in my mama's house is black. Like Morticia Adams, black, like here, then nowhere, black. My grief was built in homage of all that darkness. Now this poem was a bit more of a return from what we're used to from seeing with Morgan Torah. It was more from the uh, racial identity side, more from the history side, than from trauma side or from uh, healing or from uh, any kind of like sexual identity side. And uh, so I think one of the things that, that really hurt Morgan in this particular uh, showdown was that they went first. Because I'll play you a clip from Sherwin, who ended up winning the whole night. Bathroom humor will never be this taboo of an iceberg to us, so I'm manning up. And just like a Cleveland steamer, I've got some shit to get off my chest. And that was Sherwin's poem for the most part. It was a bunch of double entendres that had to do with bathroom humor. A whole bunch of uh, talking about taking a dump. And since he struck the right chord, since he did the right poem at the right time and allowed the audience to laugh a little bit, uh, Sherwin did take the win over at Slam Nuba. Um, there was a lot that happened here, a lot of the subtext that was uh, left out in this particular review, but that's also going to be the subject of this week's Hard Truth. As the old adage goes, fool me once, shame on you. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! You gotta be cool to be kind In the right measure Cool to be kind It's a very good sign Cool to be kind So I mentioned before that this was the last contracted show for Slam Nuba at the Crossroads Theater. And that's because the Crossroads has been bought out by a conglomeration of ownerships that, that want to change the change the space. They want to turn it into a retail space and not a performance space, not a theater anymore. 
Um, this was owned by a couple of different people. It changed hands a number of times, especially in the last, I want to say, three years, uh, where it's changed hands from being owned by the city to being owned by a church, and the church just uh, uh, was changed over to a different kind of church or another nonprofit. And with every changing of the hands, it was almost like the people in the poetry community were holding their breath saying, you know, what does this mean for Slam Nuba? Are we still going to have our space? Are we still going to be able to go there and and celebrate and, and cut heads uh, once every month? And with every changing of the guard, uh, it was always uh, worked out. It, w- it was always put out there, and whoever was in charge, whoever was the owner of that space, always had some kind of deal to work out where Slam Nuba was able to go in once a month and, and deliver a show, and, and things kept moving. But now... It looks like with this particular new brand of ownership, they want to change the entire space altogether. They want to turn it into a shop, into a retail space. And that leads me to the biggest number one killer of Slam across the country, and that is venues. Slams live and die with their venues. And we've been very, very lucky in Denver to have a venue like the Mercury Cafe that has had one single owner for as long as it's been there. And this uh, Marilyn McGinnity, who is a, a radical who is a progressive and who wants poetry in her in her place of business and that's a priority of hers and and she's made that priority for the last 15 years longer than that when you consider the Friday night open mic is one of the longest running open mics in the state of Colorado so the Mercury Cafe has been very very lucky in that regard Slam Nuba has bounced around and and we thought and we being the poetry community thought that it had found a permanent home in the Crossroads Theater, specifically when it was owned by the city, because everyone was like, okay, no one's going to buy it off the city, the city's going to run this, and everything's going to be okay. But then when it did start playing hot potato with the with the ownership toward the last couple of years there, then those old, old fears started to creep up again, and now it looks like Slam Nuba is just another unfortunate victim to the gentrification that is happening in Five Points in downtown Denver. When people say gentrification does destroy a culture, when when they say it tears away from the soul of what used to be there just so it can resurrect new, more expensive buildings and new, more expensive shops, this is an example of that. Uh, Nuba is one of the big casualties of what's going on, the revitalization of Five Points. And when you look at money being injected into a space. When you look at how many people are moving into Denver, Colorado on a monthly basis, we are the second largest growing city in the United States. And that means people need places to live, people need places to work, they need places to shop, they need places to buy their gourmet dog food from. You know, they they need these things. And the more people who live there, the more comp- the more competitive that space is going to be for uh, dollar amounts. So uh, it's it's not a surprise, but it is a tragedy that this is happening to uh, the Crossroads Theater, to Slam Nuba, which had been such a solid venue for so long. Um, but this is just, again, another one of those, not even that. This is another one of those big casualties the, of progress. Um, arts and humanities and expression is never going to be a very high ticket item in any city outside of like Los Angeles where you know big budget movies are made but outside of like that one spot then your your artistic hubs your your cultures for poetry your cultures for painting and for art and for music they're never going to make a lot of money so they're always one of the first things to go when 
gentrification starts rolling through. And Crossroads fought it off for as long as it could, for longer than, frankly, a lot of people thought it, it would. But it was, I guess, just a matter of time that this is going to happen. And when talking to Andre, talking to Tolua, uh, they do have some plans for transitioning into different venues, specifically for History Colorado Museum, which I'm excited for. Um, the, maybe some, some ironing out still needs to, to happen with that, but uh, as soon as anything new happens, again, you will hear it from the Mile High Poetry Slam podcast. But this is just a reminder to all of you out there, whether you're listening in Denver, Colorado, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, in New Zealand, you know, the, the number one uh, thing that will make or break your slam is the venue. And the number one thing that turns a lot of slams over in every city, in no matter where you're at, is venues either closing down, getting new ownership, uh, turning over new management, and then that new ownership, new management, not wanting poetry in that venue, having a different, vi- uh, a different vision, a different idea for, th- for what they want in that space, and then all of a sudden you don't have a slam anymore. So solid venue is as important as uh, solid poems, as important as solid slam masters, solid uh, audiences, and I think it's really incumbent upon the people in those cities. It's really incumbent upon the poetry lovers, the artistic audiences in those cities to try and support those venues as much as possible because if you don't, then you get what happens to the crossroads. You will get people coming in and saying, you know what, we can't make any money off of this once a month poetry show, so we got to close it down. We're going to turn it into a retail space. So if you enjoy your local arts, if you enjoy your local poetry, your local performance, your local music, then support those things because the only way they're going to stick around is by you and your friends and everyone who goes out to them showing that support. Unfortunately, since we're in a capitalistic society, through dollars. If you go there and you donate and you spend money at those venues, if you uh, help to you know, funnel uh, dollars through the, the bank accounts of the people who own those spaces, then those artistic spots will still continue. But if not, then you'll have what happens to Slam Nuba, which is historically one of the great slams in the country. They, the winners of the 2011 National Poetry Slam, which is not that long ago, only six years ago, now are looking for a new home. And that is the hard truth. Next up, we're going to talk about the Mercury Cafe open mic feature and slam. Denver. 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 Queen City of the Plains. Lift high our spirits. Sing well our praise. For in you we live and are loved. Your Mercury Cafe started off with its typical open mic of eight voices. We had Gall, Vincent, Marielle, Paula Rose, Catherine Grace, Chris Shea, Polly Sleeps, and Emily Camp. Uh, of the open mic, really two notable uh, clips that I want to share with you. First up is from Catherine Grace, who read what was a 50% response poem and 50% calling out of the patriarchy was Catherine Grace with this clip. Uh, this goes back to last week's uh, The Hard Truth I was talking about with Stylo and about how he's very aggressive and in, in demanding that Catherine give up her uh, victory lap after it was announced that she won the slam. And so this poem she wrote in response to that, but also in response to the sort of climate, the sort of culture that leads to 
people like Stylo thinking that it's okay to demand this from uh, female-bodied individuals, but then being like really mad when those when those people say no. But then it's suddenly okay when the the man in the room. In, in the case of what happened with uh, Catherine Grace, it was Polly Lippman and Johnny Osai, when, when those uh, men say, no, it's not okay that you're doing this, Stylo, and all of a sudden Stylo's, like, okay with it. But he's, he's really upset when Catherine says, no, this is my thing that I've earned and I'm going to do it. So, uh, with enough of me rambling, here is the clip from Catherine Grace. If your no is his disservice, tell him he can fucking leave. If he does not like it, tell him to write a poem literally anyone gives a shit about. Now, earlier on in this, she did go through a, a run where she attacked the idea of uh, a lot of times people say, you know what, that's someone's daughter, that's someone's sister, that's someone's wife. And she really attacks this idea that like it doesn't matter if I'm someone's daughter, someone's sister, someone's wife. All you're doing is just transferring my ownership from one man to the next. And that in itself is pretty messed up. Uh, what should matter is that I'm a human being who earned this thing because I'm good at what I do, and that should be enough. And you should respect my no when I give it to you. And then, of course, ends it up with a direct challenge to Stylo that you heard in the clip. The other big notable note was from uh, open mic favorite Emily Camp, who got up there and just did what Emily does. Again, Emily uh, went deep into talking about her past and talking about what it was like when she came out. We can assume, based off of uh, Emily's poems, that she came from a very conservative house and that her parents, specifically in this case her mother, were just not okay with her coming out as, as being a lesbian and the fallout therefrom. So let me play you a clip from Emily Camp's poem. Want to believe I'm something to be proud of. Want to feel as though I deserve no shame. I am worthy. I am important. I will make sure I cannot hide because I deserve to be in the light. Now, I've said it before, I'll keep on saying it until it's true, I really, really want Emily to start slamming. Uh, I think her voice is perfect, tailor-made for a slam. And I think with the kind of reactions that she's getting from the open mic, those would be magnified tenfold if she were to do the same thing she's doing on the open mic into the slam. Now, uh, very hypocritical of me, the guy who uh, got retired from doing slams to say, you know what, I think you should do slams. But that's that's not from me like trying to tell someone how to live life. Of course, if you don't want to slam, then don't slam. I just think that Emily's voice, I think that, that what she's trying to say, that how she's trying to say it, the way she crafts a poem would be just really, really well received in a slam environment. And I think she could have a lot of success in that realm if she chose to. And that's all I'm going to say. I'm just going to leave that out there. But I will keep on saying that until... The day that it happens, it, that day may never happen, but I'll still be cheerleading over here from the side for Emily Camp. Our feature this week at the Mercury Cafe was Nicholas Martell from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, they did a whole bunch of poems. Uh, some of them were shorter, some of them were longer. So I'm only going to play you uh, four clips that I think really kind of encapsulate much of the feature that Nicholas did. The first one, uh, this one was one of the earlier ones, this was one of the earlier poems in Nicholas's set, and really, we hit the ground running with this one, it was about mental illness, where before the poem was even read, Nicholas asked the entire room to close their eyes, and then anyone who has struggled with or known someone who has struggled with mental illness to raise their hand, 
and then to open your eyes and of course you look around the room and uh, almost everyone I'd say a good 90% of the room had their hands up and so that really led into this uh, poem I'm gonna play you a clip for today we are hardly even spectacle we are the vanishing act long after the applause is gone. Actors stuck behind the curtain even after the audience has left. And there was a lot packed into this first poem that we're going to talk about. Um, it begins by saying that uh, Bedlam Hospital was the origin of the term uh, Bedlam, of, of chaos and of uh, anarchy. But then we, we get taken on a ride where the people in the hospital would give tours so they could just see the crazy inmates. And now the crazy inmates are out of the hospital and, per the quote, the, we are no longer even spectacle. We, we are no longer even this, this attraction, this, this thing that people go to and, and be amused by. Now mental illness is this, this thing to be swept under the rug, this thing to be feared, to be abhorred. And so, yeah, quite a heavy way to kick off one's feature with this poem. But that let everyone know what kind of feature we were in for. The second clip dealt with another big theme from Nicholas's set about gender identity. And it was uh, more of a lighthearted, uh, more of a, a sillier kind of poem. I'll play you the, uh, the clip here real quick. My gender is heavy metal. Does its eyeliner in Sharpie, carries an aluminum baseball bat, eats all the gender norms for breakfast. My gender is so metal, it doesn't even have a gender. But one thing we learned from uh, Nicholas's set is that even if they give you something funny, something light, it's going to have a turn in it. It's going to have some kind of, like... Uh, heavy handbrake toward the end where uh, we get all the heaviness like just dumped on us at one point and this was no exception but it was really well put together um, gender my gender is heavy metal and then a whole bunch of uh, images associated with that uh, my personal favorite of the the poem that I didn't play you is that black is just a rainbow in disguise I thought that was a great image but of course uh, per Nicholas Martel, we got that handbrake toward the end there, and then we got all the feelings. So that was uh, your clip for uh, Nicholas on gender identity. Then there was another very interesting poem that had to do with emptiness and negatives that I thought uh, I'd never quite heard before. I'd never quite heard the message or the way it was being delivered before. So here's a clip from this poem about emptiness and about negatives for you. My body is the church hope stopped attending, except it really is the other way around. Call me lost without the will to be saved. Hope knows I have the words to call it back, but it's the wound I've learned to want. Uh, one thing that really struck me about this feature was their use of just really fantastic uh, figurative language, really well put together metaphors and really well thought out images that, that built upon each other. And this is just another example of that. My body is the church, hope stopped attending. There's a lot going on in that just one line right there. And that was kind of a treat that we had for the whole night. So if you missed it, that's what you missed. Uh, a lot of just really, really well-crafted work, a really, really well-put-together uh, bunch of poems, which I would expect nothing less from, given the feature. Uh, Nicholas Martel is a phenomenal poet. And finally, the last clip I'm going to play you was from uh, the Guns Rights satire. Um, this one, in keeping in line with a lot of the other more silly, more light uh, work, was a whole bunch of, like, laugh, 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 big turn all the feelings with about 
uh, I'd say like 40 seconds to go left in the poem. So let me give you one from the the satire side. Five, guns don't kill people, people kill people. That's why we need guns, so we can be the people who kill the other people before they can kill other people without guns with their guns. Duh. And the thing I really like about this particular clip is that uh, Nicholas kind of grabs us with it from the front side, and just when you think it's over, oh no, like we're, we're still holding on for the ride here, and, they, and Nicholas takes us through a whole bunch of, of different things we didn't expect before we get to the end, and finally lets the audience go with that, duh, and then finally we're allowed to laugh, we're allowed to breathe. Uh, again, just a really well-crafted piece, a very well-put-together feature set from Nicholas Martel. And you know what? You should have been there, because it was awesome. That was your feature. And then we had your slam. So... One of the things that, that one of the ways, well, the words that we can use to describe at least the first round of this slam was bizarre. Uh, first up, our sacrifice was Stylo Marx, who, who goes up there and uh, reads a poem, I can only assume, about how poetry has saved his life and about how he, he doesn't do this for the scores, but then at the very end, the very last couple of lines that he says all have to do with him feeling unappreciated by the scores. So I'm not sure what the overall message here was, but that's what we got from Stylo Marx, who was, by the way, for those keeping score, the subject of Catherine Grace's poem in the open mic. So really weird, really bizarre. Of the not weird, of the not bizarre, we had Jen Harris, uh, we had Johnny Osai, uh, Namina Gypsy, Jessica Bardot, Jess Nieberg, a poet named Eddie, awesome, and Polly Littman and Wheeler Light in the first round. Um, Nomina Gypsy went up and did about a four, four and a half minute poem that no one was ready for, that no one expected in a really jarring way. Uh, Nomina got up there and talked about having HPV, but it being okay as long as people were willing to wait six months to sleep with her so that they could test for HIV. And it was okay if we give the HPV away, but the HIV is something different, and, and it just went in so many bizarre different directions, and nobody knew what was going on with this piece. Uh, the Nomina got one of the lowest scores in recent memory. I know that there was a poet... Uh, a couple months ago, who got a non-score because he just took so long and, and the time penalty brought him down to a, a negative number. That didn't happen in this case, but it wasn't far off. Uh, I will, however, play you clips from, uh, from first off, poet Jen Harris. Sometimes I'm just a white girl with a bruising tail daring you to dare me to dare myself to succeed, and I exist here on this stage to dare you to dare yourselves to do the same. Now, Jen Harris was a feature we had a couple of months ago at the Merc, so it was really cool to see her come on back and just read on the slam as I'm pretty sure Jen and Paula Rose are in a relationship and it's super cute you guys just make awful cute couples and so it was really cool to see Jen get up there and read some poems in the slam and really compete uh, this was uh, another example of why Jen <clears throat> was our feature a couple of months ago because she's very good at what she does um, next clip I'm going to play you is from Jess Nieberg this is from one of her newer poems um, where she talks about her experiences with men and, and what she really feels like she embodies sometimes. Uh, I'm going to let the, the clip do the talking. I am so juicy. I can be any taste you want tonight. Call it magic. It really feels like Jess Nieberg is going through this writing period where she's really discovering 
uh, what it means for her to be a woman in the body she's in and, and what that means for other people and and she's really trying to reconcile that with uh, what has been in the past and, and what's going on in the future so it's it's been a a very interesting development to see from the audience's side and i'm looking forward to in the next poems i'm looking forward to everything else coming from jess Niebuhr. and the last clip i'm going to play you from is wheeler light because he really, really wants to win with these Aaron Carter poems. So here's a clip from A Letter to Aaron Carter. The first boy I kissed looked just like you, blonde with frosted tips. I'm not sure if he was trying to look like you to attract me. All I know is the first time I touched his penis, I wasn't sure why it was hard. It just made sense that it was. So that was Wheeler Lights with his letter to Aaron Carter. We're going to get a little more into that with the interview uh, later on in this podcast. But unfortunately, the judges were not feeling uh, Wheeler Lights on that Aaron Carter piece, and he did not make the cut into the second round. Your second round was Jen Harris, Johnny Osai, Jess Nieberg, and Eddie uh, from the first round. It feels weird for me to say that because that's my name, and it feels weird. There's not a whole lot of us out there. So I was like... Not expecting to say this name a whole bunch. But in the second round, uh, two clips I want to play you from are uh, Jess Nieberg one more time and of Eddie. So let me start you off with that Jess Nieberg piece. I could have been your breakthrough. Your lab rat could live in your clinical cold shrinking and shrinking until I am nothing but neuron endings. Now this, I think, is more reflective of where Jess Nieberg is at intellectually. Um, I've spoken with her about what she's studying in college, and she wants to do a, a hybrid program between neuroscience and law and really wants to get into actual legal cases involving concussions, legal cases involving the brain and neuroscience. And so this is, uh, at least from me, from, from what I've taken away, just another kind of facet of that education. And it's a very interesting piece because it talks about not it talks a lot about people who've donated their bodies to science and what that means and how scientists some, sometimes can use those those bodies specifically the brain and there there was a line in there that I didn't give you that did mention this statistic where pharmaceutical companies uh, have unpublished reports or, or unpublished documentation that uh, mood stabilizers are just as effective as placebos. And and sort of like Jess is seeing this from the other side, from the academic side, and really kind of like digesting what this means to be not only uh, someone who studies the brain, but also trying to think about it from the perspective of uh, someone who donates their, their brain or their body to science, what science does with it once that happens. It was, there was a lot happening in this piece. And so that's why I wanted to play it for you, just to give you a little taste of, of what that was. The other clip I'm going to play you from the second round is from Eddie, because it was a freestyle. This was completely extemporaneous. And I always like when that happens, and it doesn't suck. And so maybe from a scale of zero to Franklin Cruz, this is about a 7.8, but uh, it, it started off kind of rocky, but got more strong as the poem goes on. So here's a clip from Eddie in the second round. And I get on an elevator, and a lady clutches her fucking purse for dear life, as if I want to steal her baggage when I already have enough of my own to carry. And that line really did elicit uh, probably the biggest reaction from Eddie from the whole night. Uh, unfortunately, he did not make the cut in the second round, nor did Jen Harris. We had Jess Nieberg and Johnny Osai in the final round. And in the final round, Jess fell back onto one of her more tried-and-true poems, the, the one about palindromes and anadromes that I've uh, played you before. Uh, I will play you a clip from this one from this last week uh, just to refresh your memories on Jess's poem. 
like my father peels away at her thick skin and she wraps herself in bed sheets to hold it all together. That clip, of course, from the anadrome side from uh, after the turn uh, where she talks about the, the anadrome is something that means something different when read forwards versus backwards and, and really plays with that concept. And then uh, Johnny was last in the final round. Um, he read his uh, Food is Love piece, and Johnny ended up taking the whole night, winning everything uh, at the Slam. So that was your Mercury Cafe open mic feature and Slam. And now it is time to get into our interview this week. Uh, a little bit of a different interview because it's uh, one over a game of cribbage. <laughs> Wheeler and I played cribbage for a good solid hour for this interview. You're not going to get the entire audio. It, it was cut down for time. But just to, to let you know like what those shuffling sounds are in the background, that's Wheeler and I playing some cribbage and just talking about Poetry Slam. And, oh, by the way, fixing Poetry Slam. So you all are welcome. Here is my interview with Wheeler Light. Our guest this week is the alternate for your Denver Mercury Cafe Slam team, Wheeler Light. Hello. Hi, Eddie. How you Hi, doing, Internet. Wheeler? I'm tired. I tired. just drove a lot. I'm tired, too. It's been a long life. <laughs> <laughs> Young again. Young again for the first time. So I'm going to start off with the same question that I ask everybody. See Why slam? What brought you to slam? Um, and don't answer any question. Tell me a story. What brought you to slam? Um, oh, sorry, we're playing cards here, and something fun just happened. Um, initially, catharsis. I got into poetry, quote unquote, uh, at rehab, where I had like a really great teacher who's like, "You write music and play songs. Come get emotional with us every Friday afternoon." And so I did. So that was when I was 16, and then, I don't know, I've, like, gone in and out of slam sense because it can be such a strange um, space, kind of, yeah, I don't know. I wish I could be more eloquent than this. You're supposed to be interviewing a poet here. But, uh, yeah, slam can be really strange sometimes, so I've, like, taken years off to just get really weird with poetry and feel like I can explore in that right, and then I've come back because... Denver has a really interesting scene with people doing weird things and people like uh, Eddie Eifler, if you know him. Um, I've heard of him. People getting weird, mm. and it's a good time, and you can explore a lot. So you say Denver's got a really interesting scene. Uh, where did you come from? I'm from D.C., which is also an interesting scene, just a different mm. kind of interesting. Compare and contrast the uh, Denver and the D.C. scenes. What's the oh. same? What's different? What's going on there? Well, I think something different about D.C., and, uh, yeah, why, um, why I didn't feel so close to it as I did here was I was very young when I was in the DC scene, but not part of the youth slam. I was just going to poetry slams, the adult slams as a kid. And so I didn't feel like as part of, as much a part of the community, like I wasn't involved in as many, like, outside events, outside of poetry. And it was kind of an ego trip where I was like, oh, people like my poems. I'm the biggest deal in the world. And, uh... In Denver, it's just really wholesome. Like, I could feel immediately when I came to the Mercury Cafe that everyone was, like, friends and that they were doing things outside of poetry together and, like, playing cards or eating dinner and, like, playing with cats. It just felt really friendly as opposed to competitive, and DC felt really competitive. And I haven't gone back to, like, a slam in DC in a few years, so I can't really speak to that from, like, a time of right now. But, like, when I was younger, I was very competitive, and I still am pretty competitive, just less, like emotional about the competition 
DC is just really intense. People go super hard. People are super good. They they whip out the big guns every time, and uh, yeah, it's nuts. Whereas Denver, like you said, is a little more community oriented. Yeah, and people more. get so weird. Like last uh, last night at the Slam. I mean, I read a bunch of poems about Aaron Carter. Yes, you did. Um, yes, you did. Cap- You'll be hearing about that. Or actually, yeah. you've already heard about that <laughs> yeah. by the time you're listening to this. <laughs> but uh, Catherine read, like, some wild poems about Magic the Gathering and, like, Comic-Con. And every week, people kind of open up and try new things, which is really exciting um, to see for me. Because it's kind of a space where you can explore a lot and explore your writing and explore what you want to do with writing. And like no one will judge you for how weird you get, well, unless you get five like people in the audience whose job it is to judge you. Yeah, but then you can judge them. <laughs> um, Eleven. I like to. I've said this for a little bit now that um, fourteen. Yeah, slam could be a uh, nineteen for four. Come at me. I just did something good. Cards. No. Twenty-five for two. Five. Um, no. Oh wait, that was just yeah, three. Twenty-five for, for five. Okay, so I've said this for a while, that, like, Slam could be a wild Dadaist art scene if, like, it wasn't so established that, like, you have this event where people are reading poems and then yelling at judges and saying you're wrong. Oh, come on. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, the judges are judging you, I guess, but you're judging right back, and then you (laughs) might hug it out after. Like, some judge gave me, like, a low score last night on an Aaron Carter poem for some reason, um, Clearly something wrong with that judge. Clearly. Yeah, obviously. But uh, I don't know, we talked after, after and he was just like this really nice person. And I was like, oh, you're so sweet. Thanks for giving me a low score. Like, actually, I like could give a fuck. Oh, I could give a word. Um, eight. <laughs> you're too cute. Oh, thanks, Eddie. Uh, oh, yeah, congratulations on the whole marriage thing. Yeah, two years ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. still going strong. Good job. So you talked a little bit about what slam could be. Slam could be this uh, Dadaist art form where experimentation is more widely encouraged. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like on a more national scene that slam itself, um, <coughs> at least the the people who are more successful inside slam, they don't like to take as many creative risks um, as they could? I wish maybe? I had like more like background or years in slam to talk about this, because I mean... I have been like doing things in Slam for four or five years now, so I have a little bit of context. Um, but there are people who I think are like going really far and like end up leaving Slam because they want to just like keep exploring. I think Sam Sachs is like one of the best people for that because he's like the editor of this amazing journal now and has just really pushed him his like work really far in this beautiful way. But I uh, do think from like final stages that I've seen, there isn't. Um, I don't want to use the word hegemony, uh, or hegemony, hegemony, hegemony. Um, um, but, uh, there is kind of, uh, direction of, like, what, did Ian say, like, it's like a debate poem, where, like, you take a stance, and you solidify that stance, and I think it's fun to complicate that, and, like, have multiple ways to enter a poem when you're hearing it, and so I think that slam, like, slam kind of facilitates uh sports <laughs> like it's like it's like sports so the person who is like playing the best like wins who has the best strategy who um the crowd likes the most and it's what it is i mean it's a fun space um but there are places where i think slam could really open up and uh, allowing more strange creativity 
like you talk about. Who's what's that guy's name? Nick. Uh, oh, oh, Nick Orff used Nick, to be around Nick uh, Orff, who years like ago. just did perfor- like silent performance and like lost every night. But that just sounds so <laughs> fun and like something that should be really encouraged. Um, and it can be, but it'll never win. But is what you want to do in slam win. It like depends on personal goals. I got ten points over here. Oh, I man. got I got all tens. I got twelve, <laughs> so I'm better. <laughs> on a slam scale than on you a are. Slam scale. That's not a that's not a score you can get. Uh, it is in this you, game. You know either. that. You need to catch up. I got four. So how do we fix this? How do we fix this problem of uh, at the very least encouraging more creativity, more uh, outside the box approaches within the context of slam? Um Well, I don't know if there's as much i mean i'm not one of those super hopeful people who think you can like change like a massive community with like a small movement um which is a metaphor about america but uh um what i like to think about slam and like how i kind of diverged from it where when i was started writing i was writing like really performance driven work and then i kind of flew away from slam and started writing really weird very experimental um multi-directional, I don't know, just strange poetry. And uh, I think that something that Slam does that I don't love, where it's a really good way to like introduce a kid to poetry, but then they don't get the whole scope, I think it's a good place to start exploring. It's like block one, and then there's like so much space around it. And I don't know if within Slam, like that kind of strange experimentation can be delved into as much, because it's always strangers judging who might not really know much about poetry. What does it mean to know something about poetry? I don't know, but I think it's a really good place to start exploring, and it's on kind of the individual poet or the community to, like, start that adventure. Like, Denver, everyone gets really weird here. Like, everyone has these strange literary interests where Connor is really interested. Uh, Connor Marvin, slam champ Connor Marvin, poetic prince of Denver, poetic prince of Denver. is really interested in uh, the occult and uh, mysticism, and I have a good cribbage hand. So I think it's a lot of it's on the individual poet to kind of explore outside, because it's hard to be like... I mean, you could do a poem about exploring poetry, and it could do well, but how hard will it hit or will it be taken to heart? So you think it's more a shift in the individual poets, maybe they want to shift what it means to be successful in this art form and and not worry about taking a loss, per se, for the sake of the greater good? (laughs) For the sake of the greater good. Yeah, I think the whole win-lose thing is a... I mean, and it affects... I mean, it affects me when I, like, lose really bad and I expect to do well. I get really excited when I lose, and I'm just, like, trying to see what happens. Um, But, yeah, I think there's uh, too much focus on the competition in Slam for there to be as much exploration one way or another. Um, And, I don't know, it would be nice if... Like, what, the anti-Slam? I've never done an anti-Slam. I would really like to. But just these outside events that really encourage wildness and um, creativity. And I guess one of the... Maybe I shouldn't tell this secret to the world. I might get kicked off the team as the alternate. Um, but, like, kind of the Mercury Slam teams, one of the goals this year is to just get super weird and, like, see how far... That's not a we secret, can, Wheeler. Yeah, that's, how far we can push... That's the same secret as every other year <laughs> yeah. that Paulie Littman's been on the team. <laughs> 
Well, we're just trying to see how far we can, like, push strangeness and still, like, have some kind of success and represent ourselves. Yeah. Can't even remember what the question was. I'm, like, too focused <laughs> on these cards. Maybe this was a bad idea. I think it's a good idea if I've been moving you into being honest. 30. Shh. Damn it. I'm a beating Eddie Eifler right so now hard. for the audience. Beating me so hard. <laughs> I hate it. So, uh, you and I and Piper had this conversation about, like, what slam is and why it is that way. And I'm of the stance that, like, of course slam is the way it is because it's a completely uh, reader-reaction-driven movement. And in order to be successful in a completely reader-reaction-driven movement, you have to be as lowest common denominator as possible, and those mm -hmm. are the things that get rewarded. And audiences don't like to feel like they don't understand something. They don't like to feel like they they are the one left out. Uh, some of them like to be challenged, but not a lot of them do, mm. which is probably why Slam sort of tends to get homogenized at those upper echelons, the people who have a whole lot of success. And I'm not saying this for everyone. You know, I've, I've known a lot of really successful, really, like, amazing page and, and performance poets, but I think if there is a trend toward that, and I have a really good cribbage hand, then that's probably why. Uh, I don't even know what question I was about to ask. <laughs> I got all wrapped up in this cribbage hand. Shit, what question was I about to ask? Um, about why Slam is the way it is, and I think I have a response, though, and that's just the audience, and that it's, like, the reader-driven, um, reader-driven, or reader-reaction-driven art form where everything needs to be lowest common denominator, denominator and people don't like to feel challenged, which is yeah. funny, because when you're on the other side, or when you, like do slam or you write poetry you really don't like to feel spoon-fed like i have lots of friends who just write in their academics and they're like don't spoon feed me i don't like slam because everything is way too on the surface and every message is like delivered and they're saying directly what is happening and they don't enjoy that and i think that's a fair uh, critique of slam um i think everyone should learn how to play cribbage so that they can like think harder immediately <laughs> Like, I really, I really think that's, like, a problem, is that not enough people know how to play cards, and if they did, they would just, like, the world do, the, do the best things, yeah. Be able to, like, sit down and slow down, and I have two points, and that's sad. And now I am back firmly in control of this cribbage game. So I guess uh, what I was leading to... Firmly in control. I guess what I was leading to was um, if, if we know this going in, if we understand kind of what slam is and why it is the way it is, then why do people, especially those within slam, why do they get so upset when things turn out exactly the way they've always turned out? Like, why do people get so upset that slam does tend to get formulaic at those upper echelons and that creativity is not rewarded as much as people would like to? Um, well, what do you think? I mean, let's go back to America for a second. No, I'm like, people want to do what they want to do and be rewarded for it. Um, and that is a thing about, like, culture at large, I guess. Um, where, I mean, why do we get mad when, like, politicians do the same thing they always do? And that's not saying, like, the people who are really good at slam are, like, politicians. It's just, like, there's kind of this formula that works, and it, like puts like people in good positions um i feel like what i'm saying is semi-controversial but like you want to do well in slam i think i mean it is a pain gig eventually where like it is something you can like yeah but only for like 
ten people. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like, but that's that's nothing. I think anyone who's shooting for that, I, I don't know. I think if that's your ultimate goal, then you might not be in it for the right reason. <laughs> hey. hey, hey. Wait, what was the question? I mean, again? when's the Wheeler Light tour <laughs> coming through? <laughs> when the Wheeler Light book is a book. Ah. Well, shifting gears, speaking of the Wheeler Light book, it seems like a week can't go by that I don't see some post about how you got published in a journal or you're getting something published in a, in a magazine. Um, you've, you've had more publishing success than a lot of other slam poets that I personally know. What do you think, uh, what do you attribute to that success? Well, um, so I was, uh, so Ash Vernon featured last night and was just an absolute badass in Slade and has, what, four books and they're 23 and I'm 23, and I was like, how did you do this? Because I want books. I've written, like, three books in the past, like, five months, and all of them I've, like, sent out, and I'm waiting to hear back from. But it's, um... I mean, I think publishing... I think, like, slam is scary when you get into it where you're scared to get up on a stage and not do well. Um, and publishing is the same way where you just don't want someone to say no to your poetry and you don't want to get rejection. But you will get mostly rejection. So this year I decided to do the shoot for 100 rejections thing where it's like oh i'm going in to fail like and i'm going to win at failing um and so i just i've like been published before this year a few times decided to put myself out there but this year i was like i'm just gonna go for it and be goofy and write bad cover letters and like not really care and just send out the best work i have and so i've like gotten some success and like published the places i've really like wanted to for a long time like hobart pulp it's a really great online magazine that I got this huge poem published in, and I was so excited. They, like, got back to me right away. They were like, yes, we want this, and I've gotten rejected from them by them, like, five other times. And I was like, oh, it's finally happening. Um, but I think it's a matter of putting yourself out there. Like, Catherine got salt, you know, Lot's wife, that poem. She got that published in a Flatiron Review, which is a pretty dang good journal. Um, so... It's just a matter of putting yourself out there, and I'm trying to encourage everyone on the team to, like, yeah, trying to encourage everyone to um, push themselves like that. Like, I'm the alternate, and we had to talk about, oh, what do you want to do as alternate? I was like, I want to get you guys to publish, because that's a really, um, maybe not noble goal isn't the right word, but I think it kind of is a noble goal where you're engaging in several communities, and that really encourages exploration and creative exploration, where every magazine is different so when you're going out to publish you read a lot of different journals and you're like oh this is what this journal does this is what this journal does this is this poetry this this place is really abstract they hate syntax this place is all about prose and you get to look around a lot and it really influences writing in the end um so you know i've just been trying you know i've been putting in work <laughs> i've been putting in the work that's what i've been going for and, you know, I'm in school for writing, so hopefully I, like, get something done. <laughs> Not in slam. <laughs> I'm supposed to help Connor send out poems. I've been supposed to help Connor send out poems for the past, like, two months. Never gotten around to it. I'm just, like, trying to find places with really scary names for him to send his poems to. It's slightly or even overtly occultish names. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, 100%. Um, that leads me to my next question. What do you think, 
Academia could learn from Slam? What do you think Slam could learn from Academia? Well, you asked me this yesterday, and I'm going to give you the same answer, um, which is that Academia could learn feelings from Slam, and Slam could learn nuance from Academia, where I think... Um, and that's, like, a really broad generalization, and I feel like some people will be like, oh, that's a broad generalization, and it is. Um, so get but, more, more yeah. pointed. <laughs> so the thing with uh, academia from where I stand is a lot of, well, not a lot of the time, but you see some meaning uh, is, like, really heavily shrouded in language and just use of language and um, showing that, how, like, that, that language can be used in interested, interesting ways and... It seems like there is, like, a gravitation away from that, but in some, like, major magazines, even Poetry Magazine, I know lots of people who don't read it because it's so, um, stuck kind of in a seeming past. It does do a lot of contemporary things, but there's, like, this obsession, not with, like, form, like, sonnets, um, but just, like, really intentional writing, which I think is really good. Um, I actually like a lot of academic writing, but I think there isn't enough of this embracing of the self that happens and that's why i love sam Sachs, because like his books are these crazy explorations of self that are like really intentional and really like well put down um and i think slam could use some of the complication and intention of academic writing and there's some poets who do do it really well um megan fowley on our team is one she just is a brilliant writer and does a lot of publishing and um no, obviously knows what she's doing, like, is completely with it, um, but I think on a broader scale, um, that there should be more of an overlap, because there's also kind of a polarization between academic and slam poetry from what, I, what I've seen, where you, like, see essays about slam in some academic publications where it's, like, kind of a bastardization, and there are lots of, like, the living beat poets in Boulder, Colorado, who are, who are like, Slam is horrible. And it's like, you and your friends were screaming poems in cafes when you were 20. Like, I mean, really, what's, what's about different? It, slam is just like the petulant older brother of a lot of that beat, you know, mentality. So, yeah. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, and I have no idea why it exists. I don't know. It's uh, the pride of movements. But, yeah, I think Slam could use some of that, like, nuance that... Uh, very strict intention of the writing that you see a lot in academic writing and then things would get really interesting but then it's again that problem of what do the judges want to hear and that's always a hard line to toe um, or is it even a line you need to toe because again it's about goals do you want to win slams or do you want to make people think and have them remember your poem like two weeks later and be like wait this thing he said like this this thing that poet said is I completely got it wrong when they said it immediately like that was very complex um so i think there's a lot that both could learn from each other and they both need to not hate each other <laughs> it's that's like it's like a bad it's like a bad breakup it's like they both could learn so much they just need to be able to communicate but then we wouldn't have a winner wheeler and we need a winner yeah, going back to it. america <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> Can't stop winning. That's right. Oh, gosh, that's ridiculous. We don't need a winner. I mean, maybe we do. It's exciting to win. It feels good. It feels good. And that's another thing that I'm curious about. Uh, it's been my personal experience. I'm being really broad and really general when I say this, but, um, again, my personal experience is that people gravitate towards slam on basically a spectrum that they either want to, like, 
play the game really well and they're really competitive and they want to figure out how to win and beat the game and that's like one avenue that draws people to it and the other one is for it's catharsis that you talked about earlier where people go to it as a place of healing and a place of of therapy to you know kind of like experience that catharsis on on either a small or a grand stage um if that is true where do you think you fit on this uh continue um i've been thinking about this recently um i'm trying less and less to engage uh with slam for cathartic reasons um and why do you ten. think that is um because I think you can make people maybe not think harder, but engage with poetry in a very different and new way. If you're, um, if it's not just healing, but healing is so important, and there's like nothing more like exciting at a slam when someone like really moves you significantly. Um, for me, like when Megan reads certain poems, I'm just like, I never need to hear another poem again. But I think there's a lot of like fun. There's a lot of fun to be had when you're serving the poem instead of healing. At my school, we had a poet come in and visit Rosa Alcala from um, Houston. And, oh, wow. Come on, Um, We had this this poet come in, Rosa Alcala, and she did a two-day practicum. We did, like, 20 hours of workshop in, like, a full semester of class in a weekend. It was so intense. One of the first things we talked about was she was just saying, poetry can't be your therapy. Like, it can't be your only therapy. You're going to kill your passion if you do that. You're not going to get to explore your passion if you do that. You need other things that aren't poetry if you, like, really want to heal. We weren't really, like, we weren't really talking about healing. Someone brought it up that they write entirely for catharsis, and she was like, well, you're studying writing, and lots of writing isn't cathartic. Um... And she talked about serving the poem, and I kind of like to think I serve a poem, and it, like, heals me a little bit, but I try to have all these different outlets instead, where I really like to cook or something. Learn to cook for yourself, too. Learn to play cards and cook. If you do neither of those things after this, learn how to do them. (laughs) Um, But having other outlets is so important, and I think it can help you write more, uh, maybe not exciting, but interesting and complex work, because you're not just writing out of feelings you're writing out of some strange idea or some exploration of a technique um so i think i land like further what what were the two sides catharsis and and competition and comp oh man well i don't think i land too close to competition either i think i land closer to like exploration like i like to compete but somewhere in between like uh catharsis and exploration because also to like have effective catharsis you have to like explore yourself but like exploring writing and that's why i'm interested in academics and why i'm studying writing is there's so many interesting things you can do with it that aren't just like healing you can like you can really mess someone's day up with a poem which like some people think is wrong and maybe it is but it's also a really interesting thing that you can like write something like really complex and someone will have a really viscerally negative reaction and someone else will have a really viscerally positive reaction and neither of the reactions are incorrect because the poem is like indefinite um five seven nine eleven thirteen i hate you 14 yeah. with the jack there oh thanks for that i hate you oh eddie's sweet <laughs> just gave him an extra point what a sweet Eddie in this cribbage game. What about you, Eddie? Where do you think you land between competition and catharsis? You've retired slam now. I have ret- uh, I've been retired. The tables have turned. <laughs> the worm has turned. I don't like the direction it's facing. Um, 
I've gone through various stages, and I think most people who do slam in any uh, timeline go through various stages. When I first started doing it, I was very into the competition aspect. I was very into like solving the game and figuring out how to play it. But mm. I think the more I played it, the more I readjusted my personal goals. And it became more about, like, the exploration, more about, like, what can I do within this framework? What what can I get away with? What can I not get away with? Hmm. Um, I don't think I've... I've ever... I would never say that I've written a performance poem for healing. I've, that's never really been a specific purpose or goal of mine to heal based off of getting on the stage and speaking words out loud. Uh, that is not to say I haven't written for healing purposes, but... That's never been a goal of mine for a slam poem. I've never looked for that catharsis. Um, but now, yes, I've been retired because I feel like I feel like the the group that we have in place with you and Connor and Catherine and and just the mainstays that go to the Mercury Cafe, like you guys got this. You don't need me. <laughs> you know, you you don't need uh, Old Man Eifler like uh, over your shoulder, like reading his depressing ass poems ah. while you guys just save the world. Eight. So let's have an honest conversation. Hey, Andy. the recorder's on. Let's have an honest me and, conversation. Uh, me and Connor like talked about this that we thought you were retiring because you like thought there was a changing of the guards. But no, we need Eddie. I feel like. <laughs> we can't. We can't. We can't survive without Eddie. Like, yeah, we can. Um, I mean, we'll survive without Eddie, but we'll also survive with Eddie. And then, like, Eddie is part of the party, and Eddie is part of the party. Um, but no, your poems are great. I think it's a great time, and I'm just like glad you're there, and I'm glad you and Piper are there. You all, you two, reminded me of like Matt and Ayana Galant because you're kind of like the mom and you know Matt and Ayana, you know Matt Galant. We've talked about this. What? No, you don't. I, no, we've talked about this. What's going on here? <laughs> oh, maybe it's Paulie then. Yeah. Yes. I, he knows everyone. All right, and well, we are two white guys. I know we look very similar. So. Get out of here. Um, but yeah, you all uh, are kind of like the slam parents in like a really good way and very like supportive. And it's I really appreciate the presence. Um, and I and Piper, we can be presences and not slam. You know, we can fulfill that. You guys can part just be presents. We can be presences. Presences. <laughs> Like, we can be there, and we can be supportive, and, and venue organizers, and what have you, without slamming. Or at least, you know, I feel I can. So. That would be like a really weird Gollum monologue. My presences. My presences. Like, I hate it. Um, yeah, when you put like that, when you talk about competition, like being the game and being interested in beating the game and what you can do inside of it, like, actually, that's where I'm at. But right now, I'm like, I'm only going to read Aaron Carter poems until I win a slam reading Aaron Carter poems. <laughs> and that's, like, what I feel like I need to do, and I feel like that would be really fun for the community and, like, really fun for myself. Because it would be like, haha, I tricked everyone into liking these ridiculous poems. These Aaron Carter poems. Yeah, but who doesn't like Aaron Carter? Except for a lot of people, <laughs> including myself, if we're being honest. <laughs> um, well, for me, it, it got to a point where I wanted to explore, I wanted to challenge, and I wanted to like see what I could and could not get away with. And and the challenge at one point for me was to like see if I could offend or alienate as many people as possible, <laughs> but still get like high scores. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> if I could write a poem that offends at least 50% of the room, but still get a good score Is that on the it. worst love poem? No! That was a different thing. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, like, you can... 
you can play around within the art form, you can explore, and then, uh, really 2014 is, is when I started writing the poems and the, and the style that you are more familiar with, uh, of my work. I really got more to, like, social issues, I really got more to, um, like, uh, constructs of privilege and constructs of, like, mm -hmm. the things that have benefited me and, and why they have, and and what I, as someone in a place of privilege, can do for people who are not in that place. Like, that's that's really, like, where things started turning for me was around 2014, and that's where a lot of my work has stemmed from since then. Was, wait, were you on the 2015 team or the 2014? 14. The, that's the Go Be Great year. Yes, it is. It's a great year. Mm -hmm. I've only seen it on YouTube. Only admired it from afar. Well, everyone listening should check it out. Uh, go be great on uh, YouTube, Button Poetry, or uh, Poetry Slam Incorporated. It's a good time. I, like, didn't know any of these folk, and I was just, like, coming to the slam, and I, like, Googled Mercury Slam. It was the first thing that came up, and I was like, oh, that's those three guys, and this is the funniest poem ever, but it's also important. Are you excited for uh, Nationals here? 28. Uh, are you excited for Nationals here? I'm excited for Nationals anywhere. Go. <laughs> only been to one Nationals. Uh, which one was that? Uh, Boston in 2013, where I kind of, like, went to hang out with my family up in Boston, but I also went with Beltway Slam to be like, I'm a fan, and I <laughs> I slammed in the youth slam and did these, like, really kind of, I think, grossly heteronormative poems, but, like, I came third in the National Youth Slam, and I was like, I'm a big deal. <laughs> you all should appreciate me, because I'm a big deal. Yeah, you should appreciate me in my heteronormative poetry. And then that was four years ago. I have eight points. Yes, you do. Um, and, but it was, like, really... Like, all the events were fun, but I'm excited for it to be here and to be able to, like, participate in a, like kind of more, sig not more significant way, but be like, oh yeah, I'm like here doing something and like I'm with my friends and we're all like, we're the host city and I haven't even lived here in Denver ever because I live in Boulder, <laughs> but uh, I get to say I'm from Denver <laughs> while the slam is going on. See some folk I've like always wanted to see do poems live and hopefully they'll be out here. Like uh, maybe, um, you know, Ezra Pound will come out for the National Slam, maybe we'll get to see, like... Ezra Pound dead. Maybe we'll get to see uh, Wordsworth do, um... Let's, let's get Elliot. Get know, to not, this but... day. Well, maybe we'll see William Wordsworth doing a, a cover of a Shane Coyzan right. poem that's at, the National, Poetry Slam. at the National Poetry Slam. <laughs> Who's the hotness right now? That Shane Coyzan guy? Let's do Coyzan? him. Let's do him. I oh, don't know. I think he'd probably have a picket sign. Um... <laughs> Oh, um, what are your personal goals? Uh, to win a slam reading Aaron Carter poems. <laughs> and that's it? That's as far as you've uh, looked forward to? Well, in slam, my goals are different from my, like, goals at large. What are your my goals in slam? Uh, to take over the world. No, those are my goals at large. But my goals in slam, I don't know, I would like to be on, like, a nationals team, not as an alternate at some point. Um, but it's just, like, fun and... The community is great. I think the community is, like, the most important part of Slam by far uh, for me. Um, and just, like, kind of being with your friends and getting to, like, explore and do weird things. That's what I love about Denver is everyone's, like, ready to get weirder. <laughs> like, no one's afraid to, like, just do stranger and stranger things. So, like, I don't know, Wayne Slams feels good, but especially when it's in a weird way. Like, I'm not interested in doing my poems that do well right now. <laughs> I'm interested in, like 
seeing how far I can go and like how performance can help my like strange poems do better. And I'm also interested in like seeing my friends do poems and seeing like Connor do just crazy shit and getting super weird. I'm pretty sure you you beyond won this game already. <laughs> it's okay. We can play another where I can win. Eddie <laughs> got five points. Yeah, let's start over. You won. Yay! Eddie forfeited. Did you hear that, Internet? Internet? I can always cut this out so the Internet never hears that. Brutal. What questions you got for me, Eifler? What do I you think got I might left? just skip to the end. I might yeah. skip to the last question that I ask everyone. That's fine. Uh, which is funny, because you told me that you haven't listened to this. Like, you think it's just super weird. Yeah, I'm not going to listen to this one either. <laughs> I think you should. Uh, mostly because I every time I mention you, I sing your praises. Oh, that I did hear. You heard Jess, that? <laughs> Jess told me that you said, like, my craft was unparalleled in the Denver scene. And I was like, that's not true, but that's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I use those words exactly, but I did praise your craft. I mean, I think she was, like, flattering me, too. So there was, like, a joint effort. So, last question. You're walking along a beach. <laughs> What's going on here? You find a magic lamp <laughs> on the beach. You rub it three times, and a magic genie pops out. Uh. Magic genie says, you have one wish for Denver poetry. What oh. is your one wish for Denver poetry? Ah! <laughs> Can it be a wish to have a wish larger than a Denver poetry wish, but then I don't get one in the end? Because I have, like, no wish for Denver... I think Denver poetry is, like, doing really well. I wish that, like, the little dramas that happen could, like, subside, but that's not... I mean, people need to deal with their stuff. Um... What I really hope is that just this team does just, like, the weirdest shit, and it goes really well. And that, like, all the judges are like, oh yeah, spoiler alert, I want to hear a poem about the Berenstein Bears. Let's give this shit ten. You might get kicked off the team for that. But yeah, you can cut I that think, out. Can I you put in a beep there? A beep there? <laughs> can, you, like, can you bleep that out? People think that you just cussed. No, I want to hear... I cuss all the time. I want to hear a poem about the beep, <laughs> and then, like... <laughs> And then it's kind of this meta thing where they will want to hear a poem about censorship, but, like, a really meta one. Um, but, yeah, I think the Denver poetry scene is, like, this really vibrant, alive... I think the Denver poetry scene is a really, like, wonderful thing. Um, very different from any other scene I've ever seen. Where, I mean, I started in D.C., I went to Emerson College for a bit as part of that little community for, like, two days. It wasn't... didn't feel, like, particularly wholesome for me, but they do really good poems there and no no like bad blood for emerson college slam they're like amazing um two four six eight ten eleven um but yeah i think the denver poetry scene is doing some really cool things and there are people here making crazy publishing moves um <laughs> crazy publishing moves that's connor marvin rubbing off on me uh too um but yeah, Denver poetry scene is good. I wish that, like, we could all get, like, all of us, like, probably, like, 40 poets get together one day in a community center at a very long table, and we have some kind of dinner, and, like, just a really lovely little soiree where we, like, showcase our work for ourselves, and, like, there's no... And we judge each other. I don't know. I and wish we could have a... tens. Yeah, no. No. <laughs> no. So that we can have a hierarchy by the end of the night, and the winner gets, like, a cape, and the loser gets uh, a, a hole in their bucket. <laughs> I was not prepared for a hole in their bucket. 
was not prepared no one, for that. No one ever is prepared for a hole in their bucket. Well, thank you so much to our guest this week, Wheeler Light. Um, do you want to push anything, uh, shout anything out? Do you want to plug anything before we turn the recorder off? Um, you guys should check out my poem. Uh, there will be a video up of it soon. It's um, It starts like, I've never been beautiful, not one day in my life. <laughs> You're an ass. <laughs> You guys should make jokes where you say your friends' poems are your poems, and that's what I'm plugging. Learn how to play cards, and yeah, good night, and uh, good good luck. Another fantastic interview. I want to say thank you again to Wheeler Light for coming by and being so generous with his time. Like I said, we played about an hour's worth of cribbage, and he was just so open and so willing to talk about anything and everything that I asked him about, and it was just a good time. So once again, thank you to Wheeler Light for being our interview for this week. A couple of quick hits before we get out of here. Your features at the Mercury Cafe this Sunday, June 4th, will be R.J. Walker and Jose Soto. They are from Salt Lake City, and they are both phenomenal. They're both uh, multi-members, multi-time members of national teams, and uh, R.J. has featured there a couple of times. I'm pretty sure uh, Jose has featured with him at least once, maybe twice, and you're going to get a great show. It's going to be fun, it's going to be engaging, you're just going to have a great time. So show up at the Mercury Cafe June 4th, sign up as at 7.30 if you want to read something, but if you don't, then just come and enjoy and have a good time. Also, uh, volunteer for the National Poetry Slam when it comes to Denver by going to npsdenver.com and going under the Volunteers tab. We do need a lot of volunteers, especially ones who want to try and be venue managers. And that is someone who's going to pick a venue and stay there pretty much the whole night for uh, three, four nights. And just make sure everything runs smoothly. So if you think that is you, then go ahead and sign up. If you don't want to do that, there are plenty of other open spots for volunteering. You can take money at the door. You can time keep. You can score keep. You can volunteer to uh, cart some merchandise around. There's a bunch of stuff that we need a bunch of people to do. And if that sounds like you, then you should go there and sign up. All right, I want to say thank you to Toluwa. I got that gap like Angela, fist like Diallo. Don't fuck around with stupid America like Lalo. Thank you to Piper Mullins. Don't pull threads, Eddie. It all comes apart when you pull threads. And thank you to all of the audiences for both Slam Nuba and the Mercury Cafe. I got the front row singing. My, my job here is done. Once again, I'm so glad that you decided to spend some time with me over here at the Mile High Poetry Slam podcast. Remember... The points are not the point. The poetry is not even the point. The point is, was, and always will be the people. We'll see you next week.